The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. R. Scott Clark. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. So we uh, were asked to... um to devote with you on the patriarchs. And so I sat down and started reading through Genesis to see you know, where I should be devoting with you. Um, and I, I stopped at an unlikely place, and that was Genesis 37. Uh, unlikely because I don't know that everybody agrees that Joseph is a patriarch, but that's, that's where I stopped. So that's where, we're, that's where we are this morning. And I wanted to look with you at Genesis 37, 12 through 36, as we think about the sale of the Savior, the sale of the Savior in Genesis 37, 12 through basically the, the end there. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, Here I am. He said, he said to him, here I am. So uh, he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and uh, with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of, of uh, Hebron, and he came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, uh, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us now go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Uh, they saw him from afar, and before he came uh, near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Now, then we will say uh, that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. But when uh, Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, cast him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might uh, rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came uh, to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty, and there was, uh, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites com- coming uh, from Gilead with their camels, bearing gum, balm, and uh, myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, uh, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites let us uh, let uh, not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. So they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in it, he tore his clothes, returned to his brothers, take away from it. Are we... Uh, and, and what do ministerial and theological students take away from a narrative like this? Uh, do I talk to you about pits in, in your ministry? And, and not, you know, uh, 
what, what, is, what is your coat of many colors? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I'm, I'm pretty confident that's not why this is here. Um, and, and there are, uh, uh, I think what we're supposed to notice is in the sweep of the narrative, if you go back to chapter 36, we've just had a genealogy of Esau. Right? God In 35, God has blessed uh, Jacob. In 36, uh, we get, the, uh, we get the, the, the genealogy of the reprobate. And now we're, in a sense, back to, to Jacob. Right? We've gone from the reprobate. Right? Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Um, and now, in a sense, we're back to back to Jacob, that, that disobedient son of God, but nevertheless elect. And we're back to Joseph's life. And in the beginning of 37, which we didn't read for time this morning, uh, we see that Joseph is given dreams, and he's not shy about announcing these dreams. And again, you know, there, some people, some places, not here, I trust, might be tempted to make a lot of, of of, if you, of these uh, dreams, if you get revelations from God, keep them to yourself or something, which I think would be actually good advice, but it has little to do with the text. Um, Joseph is, uh, God does have a plan for Joseph. Um, and like Jacob, Joseph is, uh, in this narrative, God's uh, elect one. And, and the brothers are irritated with these dreams because these dreams all have Joseph being placed over them, and and they and they acknowledging that, and they came to hate him. Uh, they the, verse four makes it clear that they'd had enough of these dreams, and they came to hate him, and they came to hate him with with such a passion that they were essentially just waiting for an opportunity to get rid of him. And at the same time, Jacob is Joseph's uh, favorite. He is the the son of his old age. And, uh, and Jacob seems surprised when, when Joseph announces that even Jacob will bow to Joseph. Um, he, he isn't filled with hate. Uh, it, it's a kind of an outrageous announcement, but he's not filled with hate. He seems to be more puzzled uh, than angry. And sort of working through the story quickly, as I say, there, we, we can see seven things. First, we see a, a prelude, right? Uh, and uh, we won't rehearse that, just that the brothers... Uh, are supposed to be in Shechem, but actually they're in Dothan, and and Joseph uh, catches up to them finally in Dothan. And as soon as the, so, so now the scene is set, and uh, and we're about to experience the crisis here in in the narrative. And the second thing we see is a plot. They act they actively plot against him. They can tell that it's Joseph coming, right? Verses eighteen through twenty, and they immediately say, apparently among themselves, right? They in, in the English. Text right. The ESV actually uses the word "conspired." They they plot against him to kill him. Yeah. How how great is is human depravity, and how little did these brothers know of how valuable Joseph would be in their life, and how what a central role he would play in in their deliverance. Uh, their savior is approaching, and they can't see it. That, that should uh, that should signal something to us if we're if we're paying attention, shouldn't it? As soon as they see their savior, they plot to get rid of him. And then the second thing we see here in verses twenty one and twenty two is a petition from Reuben. Now, Reuben wants to mitigate this, right? He doesn't he doesn't want to see Joseph. He, he wants to see Joseph out of the way, but he doesn't want to see him killed. Let us not take 
his life. Let's not shed blood. Don't lay a hand on him. And Reuben actually seems to have, uh, trying to, instead of standing up directly to the brothers, seems to have tried to work an angle, some kind of complicated plan. He's going to deliver uh, Joseph uh, and and take him back to to Jacob, but but he failed. And, And while he's away, uh, we, we find at the center of the passage here in verses 23 through, through 27. When it's worth hearing that again. So when Joseph came to his brothers, what, how did they respond? They stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they cast him in a pit. It's a good translation, but it's probably a cistern. These are, it's a dry water container, underground water container, a, a, a cistern. And that's why it says the pit was empty. There's no water in it. And, and how do they respond to this um, perfidy? They sit down to eat and celebrate. It's almost a sacrament of sin, this meal that they've sat down to uh, enjoy among them, themselves. And, it's, and then uh, when they, it occurs to them as they see the Ishmaelites and they see traders going down right from the north to the south to Egypt, we, we can... Uh, we, can, we don't have to kill him. We, we can, uh, 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 Judah, as Judah points out in verse 26, we don't have to uh, kill him. We can sell him, and we can make it look like he's dead, and we can be rid of him. And then, of course, as you heard, they, they go to Jacob and they lie, and Jacob leaves the lie, and they, and they produce the, the robe with the blood, and it all looks perfectly plausible. But it wasn't true. And then, uh, and, and then there's just this little hint at the end this little foreshadowing is what it is at the end. In verse 36, uh, they sold him uh, to, uh, uh, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar. Now, we know the story, and we know who Potiphar is, but if you're just following the story for the first time, you don't know who Potiphar is, and if this were a television show, this would be where the commercial break would come. And then after the commercial came back, the miniseries would continue. And we would see how this all works out in Potiphar. And as I looked at this story and thought about it, uh, I thought, well, how, how should Christians read this text? Right? And this is sort of what I've been suggesting to you uh, so far this morning. This is really an exercise in learning to read Scripture canonically. Learning to read Scripture within the scope, obviously in its own context. It has its own interest, its own uh, 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 job that it's doing. But it's, all, it's also part in the providence of God and by the inspiration of the Spirit, a broader story. And we don't read this text as if there were no New Testament. There are some people who would like us to read the Hebrew Bible that way, but we know better. Um, we're Christians, and, and uh, the same Holy Spirit who gave us the New gave us the Old. And in the New Testament, we learn uh, not only what this means, but how to read these texts. And how would the apostles have us to read the text? And, and maybe it's because I spend every fall reading the early fathers that, that I, I am thinking this way, but how, how would they have looked at this? And how would they have seen this? And how particularly would the early Christians have seen this? And how can we not see it the, the way that they did? That the Savior was, was disposed of. Not, no, not killed. Conspired against and thrown into a pit and disposed of and lied about and his disposal celebrated. How can we not think about about another Savior 
who was opposed from the very beginning, who was not recognized, who was humiliated, and, and who was, as it were, thrown into a pit. If, the, if being in the, in the belly of the whale for three days is a way of pointing forward to the tomb, how cannot also a cistern, being thrown into a cistern and sold into slavery into Egypt, also not point us to the righteous Savior? came, who was not recognized, who was hated, who was rejected, who announced the truth in, in sincerity. Joseph doesn't seem, there's no indication in the narrative that Joseph is sort of reveling in his position. He's just announcing what he knows to be true from God, and he does so in righteousness and innocence. And, and how did we respond? How did his brothers, his brothers responded? We have a brother who came for us and announced what, what he knew to be true from God. And how did we respond? So, And the, the last thing I'll say is that what, what's striking about this passage is it, there's no happy ending and there's no resolution. It's part of a broader narrative, but um, we do have to deal sometimes with uh, the sort of unhappy part of the story. Just as there's no particular practical points that come out of this, except being pointed to Christ seems to me to be eminently practical. Um, so uh, there's no happy ending here. The story leaves, right? He's not left in the pit, but he's sold into slavery. So this is an opportunity for us to reflect on our, on our inclinations, isn't it? On our sin, on our corruption, on our blindness, and on our need for a Savior. Well, let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we're grateful for the stories of Scripture, the stories of the patriarch, the patriarchs, and for Joseph, this narrative. We're grateful for your uh, mercy in revealing these things to us and, and in types and shadows pointing us to, a, to the righteous Savior uh, who was, as it were, uh, thrown into a pit, but whom you did not leave in the pit. One who was, as it were, sold into slavery, but whom you did not leave in slavery, but whom you delivered up for us, whom you vindicated, and, and in whom we are justified. We're grateful for the beauty of Scripture and for the way that it all fits together and for the way that it, uh, on the one hand, teaches us the greatness of our sin and misery, but how it also teaches us how we are redeemed from all our sins and misery and how we ought to live as a grateful consequence in that grace and mercy. Hear our prayer, forgive our sins, renew us this day, and let us be encouraged in the gospel as we find it here in Genesis 37. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.